It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Well, uh, a big part of the year is the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Um, do you have a great family tradition, something that no one else has that's such a unique bonding of love? I'll start with my family, quick, huge family. We would go to Cincinnati, Ohio, as our Kings Mills area is our home. We would travel from Delaware to Kings Mills, nice 10 hour drive in the station wagon, the paneled station the wagon. The family truckster with it the was. LT, It was an LTD station it wagon with the, with the wood paneling on it. An LTD Country Squire. Thank you. And so we would go and everyone would get together. Great. Everyone's smoking in the house, all the adults. This is in the 70s. And uh, the wine's flowing, the drinks or whatever anybody's having. And always a great family fight brings out, breaks out by the end of a round dessert. And my grandfather's sitting at the head of this long table just ignoring everything and eating his pumpkin pie. So nothing to me says the holidays like a great family gathering and a great family argument. Yeah, you would, you would argue and then go outside and play touch football, right? <laughs> That's or, exactly well, we also it. went to, and this is, I don't know if people do this, we would go to the movies. Yeah. I saw that the, the uh, was it the trial of, Billy Jack, probably, which is like an R-rated movie. I'm 11 years old. I'm watching, you know, slaughter and and blood, and I'm like, I'm seven. Oh, this is nothing says Thanksgiving like Billy Jack kicking the ass, you know, and taking names. It's so that certain memory. That, that was it. That's but. exactly though what we would do. It was in Cincinnati, so it'd be cold, and we were young, and we would be in our short sleeve shirts with our footballs. Uh, playing in the big front yard, tackling each other, acting like we were Ken Anderson, quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. Virgil Carter. All that stuff. How about that? Bobby Douglas. Because uh -huh. I was a Bears fan. I grew up yeah. outside Chicago. So that, that was so it, it, man. That was yeah. a good era. Hey, uh, I just wanted to pivot real quick before we get to our guest. Our guest, by the way, this, this is, is good so good. This is terrific. Um, he has played a solo instrument. He yeah. performed a three-minute concert in front of 68,000 people. And it wasn't even his day job. So that, how's that for a teaser of who that may be? But I want to tell you, congratulations for you on the recent Government Cheese Exit In show. I was there with your wife and your son, who was born on Super Bowl Sunday when the Titans played, January 30th, 2000, which also is part of our guest legacy and so forth. And Joey is 20, I'd make him 22. That's correct. And he was there to see you for the first time, see Dad rock out on the drums. The show was fantastic. I hope you feel good about it. That was fun. You're Thank still you. recovering, I think, by the way. I think we all are. You can hear my voice. Um, that was a great night. Sold the place out. The Exit Inn is a historic club since the 70s in Nashville, and it's closing. And ourselves and Jason Ringenberg from Jason and the Scorchers, lots of Nashville rock history there. It was just a great night. I think people were coming to celebrate years of, you know, we've been around for 30 years as a band, and the club itself, and the fact that we're still alive in our 50s. Um, it was a really great night. I sure do appreciate you uh, coming out. I could see you out there from the stage. You're it was really, fun. really good, too. <laughs> By the way, all right, let's get to our guest. Hey, we know people. Let's take a spin through Joe and John's Rolodex. And it stops at C for Kevin Carter, CBS Sports Analyst, former Titan, former Dolphin Buck, and, of course, started the NFL career out of the University of Florida, fifth overall pick of the 1995 draft. 
He went to the St. Louis Rams and has a Super Bowl ring with him. Uh, with that team, and I'm sure we may go down that memory lane. But After he beat the Titans on the day my son was born. That's right. So <laughs> thanks for nothing, Kevin. Kevin, thank you for joining us, man. I know you're in New York joining us via the uh, video link, and yeah. uh, but appreciate it, man. No worries. Cup of Joe and John. I see what you did with that uh, title there. It's pretty clever. <laughs> it, was, like it. it was going to be first, uh, second cup. We wanted it to be kind of this, you know, as you settle into the morning and it's like your second cup of coffee. So we went with second cup of coffee until we realized <laughs> 900 on the SAT, Kev, uh, that, that there was a Joe involved in this show. So, yes. um, hey, let's take it from the open what Joe asked. Do you have a, with Shima and your son Zion, um, all-American family, living in, in uh, the Tampa area, but, of course, you travel around. Uh, favorite holiday tradition, something with Thanksgiving or Christmas or something go terribly wrong? Or I mean, do you have any good stories? Um, you know what? I, thinking back to all the holidays over the years, I mean, it's just been about getting together with family, and, and I think that's the most important thing. And, it's, and family is, is never perfect. I mean, there's bad blood from years ago and, you know, arguments, feuds between do, cousins do and uncles and things that, you know, that persist to this day that that just but I don't there's not really one fond memory. But listening to you two guys banter about, um, you know, the arguments that would break out. I remember being at my my grandmother's house and they lived right outside of like South Georgia. I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida. And it was country, I me mean, out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, my grandma, my mom, and all my aunts and everybody would cook, and there'd be all this food, but everybody would be there. I'm talking, you know, my mom had eight brothers and sisters. So oh there's cousins, there's kids everywhere. You know, of course, you can't be in the kitchen. You got to sit at the kids' table. I mean, you know, there's fights between cousins and feuds. And, I mean, I, well, I guess my most memorable Thanksgiving is when I got, I just gotten a BB gun. Um, for, what could go wrong with that? Yeah, what, yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Right, I, I had this little, you know, it looked just like the Red Rider BB Who gun. Who got shot? Know, with, with, the, with, with the single shot cock action and everything. We'll put your and eye out. I, I, I was outside and I was, my grandmother, they had a little small farm and they had chickens and I was determined to shoot one of these chickens. And uh, and my grandma is, you know, she's she's told me she's like, I'm I'm, I'm going to tan your hide if you kill one of my chickens with a BB gun, and um, I didn't kill a chicken, so I didn't get whooping for that. Just severely but, uh, wounded it. I, no, actually, I ended up shooting my brother in the back. Yeah, <laughs> better, so, even better. That 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 was very memorable because he beat the crap out of me, and um, you know there were a lot of tears. And yeah, but you I shot him. You I mean, you know. <laughs> But I shot him square in the middle of his back. Uh, and, I, and I think at the time he was probably 14. I was probably 12, like 11 or 12. It was it was bad. It was a bad scene. So weren't holidays di weren't holidays difficult for you as an NFL player? Because as everyone else is off, we're all watching the NFL games. So for 14 plus seasons, that had to be and traveling. Yeah, yep. four years in college. Or you went seven years, Kevin. Did you? No, you got out. <laughs> yeah, I got out. Um, four years of college. Yeah, 14 years in the NFL. Um, holidays are not the same for professional athletes, especially football. I mean, um, for for years, I, I I did not have a normal existence. It was always tied up around the most difficult games of the season. I was always, you know, as a student athlete in college, I mean, 
we see strange, crazy things happen. We see more, more and more parity, you know, in college football. Um, of course, that's due to more widespread talent and coaching and the evolution of the game and that kind of thing. But it's also, these are kids. These are student athletes. And by the time they get to this point in the season, you know, they've got all kinds of things on their minds. They've got family wanting tickets and the pressure of, of grownups on their shoulders. I mean, if you're playing at one of these big power five schools and each and every weekend is the most important thing. I mean, forget about your schoolwork, forget about who you are, you know, as a, as a human being, it's all about football and that kind of pressure on young people. I mean, weekend and week out, I mean, you see it and I guess pressure cooks a ham and makes diamonds, you know, but <laughs> at the same time, man, it's, it's just a lot of stress. So for me, the holidays, you know, weren't necessarily great memories because I was always, you know, it was an abbreviated dinner with my family and then I was off to work. Christmas, you know, there was no such thing as Christmas. If Christmas fell on the wrong day, then I didn't see my kid open his presents, you know, that morning we had to have it on another day. And so ever since I retired, I've enjoyed the holidays so much more. I mean, these days getting together and just being a fly on the wall, sitting on the couch, you know, with family, eating, you know, just taking a nap and passing out, talking to the kids and just, you know, the, the stimulating conversation. It's been wonderful for me, despite the arguments and feuds that, that still rage on. I'm I've become that that uncle or that granddad at the end of the table that's sleeping and not even paying attention to <laughs> any of it because I'm just having a good time because I'm just <laughs> glad to not have the pressure of an impending game that might ruin my season you know, coming up that weekend. Excellent. That's the voice of Kevin Carter. And Kevin, let's rewind a little bit. Um, Back to John's musical uh, introduction. You (laughs) were in the high school marching band, your junior year in high school. No doubt the uniform probably didn't fit. You were probably the biggest guy in the band. (laughs) You never played a down of football till your junior year in high school. And uh, as we go down your very successful road in the uh, NFL. What instrument did you play, and how did the, how did that get you from the band to the football field? Huh. Um, I played saxophone, and uh, <laughs> you know it was a it's probably my one of my first loves. That and baseball. Um, I wasn't really much of an athlete growing up. I played everything, did everything, was really active, had dreams of delusions of grandeur of playing in the NFL one day, but. Um, it really didn't didn't seem like it was going to come true for me. Um, everybody else in my family was tall and statuesque. You know, my mom was 5'9", my dad was 6'3", my brother was like 6'4", his freshman year in high school, and I was just his little band nerd brother. <laughs> and, yep. and so, yeah, I, I didn't really hit that spurt until um, my, my between my sophomore year, um, like the summer, I grew like eight inches over the summer, and my life just simply transformed you remember a movie called uh, Can't Buy Me Love? Sure. Back in the 80s, yeah. um, you know, and, and I think Patrick Dempsey is, you know, this piece of delivery boy and he's mowing lawns and then these popular girls make a bet and they make him popular. That was kind of like my life. I mean, I literally was in the band, you know, marching, couldn't get a date. You know, girls didn't talk to me. And then I grew eight inches and, you know, I'm walking around. I'm 6'3", you know, it's a junior, 6'4", and I just keep growing and I started getting all these accolades and everything I did on the football field just instantly made sense. And it was like a duck to water. But I, I never lost my love of playing an instrument. And of course, um, how I got to play the national anthem in the Music City 
um, was actually Jeff Fisher's fault. Um, because I didn't <laughs> want to do blame it, it on okay? the coach. I blame it on the coach. I didn't <laughs> want to do it because basically, you know, and God love her, but you, you know, John, you know Teresa Halbrooks, and mm-hmm. she is the best. Former community the, relations you know, and so forth. Yeah, yeah former for community Titans, relations yeah. for the Titans, and now she runs her own PR company. She's a dynamo. She's an, an awesome human being, but her crazy idea knowing that I played saxophone. She's like, why don't you play the national anthem? That would be great. And I said, okay, well, if you ask Coach Fisher and he says yes, he signs off on it, then I'm good to go. And there's no and, way um, a coach is going to let you do that four minutes before correct, kickoff, right? I need correct. you focused, dude. That's, yeah. that's not that's never going to happen. Who do you think so you I, are? Thanks, right, but so no I thanks. Defer, and Jeff being Jeff's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm like, shit. You know, There's he walks the bus. up to me and he's like, uh, yeah, number got 93 got thrown got underneath got, it. Got, got a pretty good matchup versus the Bills on ESPN. Good luck playing the national anthem. Can't wait to see it. You know, Jeff and his dry humor. And he gives me this smirk and I'm like, shit, Jeff. I'm like, you know, I, I really didn't want to do this. And, um, but yeah, ended up playing the national anthem before the Bills game. So, um, it's pretty cool um, and an awesome memory, actually. Girls dig the sacks. That is yeah. great. <laughs> they do. That's, That's the 80s song. It's like every popular 80s song is like, cue the sax. Yeah. Top 10 hits, you had to have a sax solo on the bridge. There's Kenny, <laughs> Kenny G and KC. Yeah, that's nice. And, and a lot of people would think, uh, assuming you grew up in Tallahassee, uh, back during the Bobby Bowden days and their you know, top four nationally every year and so forth that you just matriculate to Florida State. But that, not only did you not go to be a Seminole, you went to the rival, and there was a few other schools that uh, came courting as well, didn't they, Kevin? <laughs> well, for me, it came down between <laughs> Notre Dame and Florida. And, yes, and yes, and it did. Of course, you know this, John. Um, but back, you know, when I was coming out of high school, it was, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. And, I mean, it was like Michael Stonebreaker, Chris Sorich, Eric Simeon, you know, Bryant Young, you know, the bus, um, you know, all these great players, Todd Light, uh, you know, just, and they were loaded. Yeah, and, they were. You know, obviously, back in those days, you couldn't go wrong if you went to Florida, Florida State, or Miami. They were all top 10 programs. And, you know, Notre Dame was right there in the fray winning national championships and had just a you know, great reputation and a branded program. And of course, Lou Holtz is just absolutely captivating as a speaker and as a leader. And I was absolutely, I mean, I went up there and my dad told me, he's like, when you go visit Lou Holtz, just come home and just come home. Don't commit. It's your first visit. (laughs) Don't commit. And, um, and I tell you, he almost had me. Sure. I mean, he's, you know, he's doing the newspaper trick and in front of us tearing it up and we're all sitting in a little auditorium and he's, you know, going on about, you know, being a man and forging, you know, the lines in your life and the crossroads and, you know, the, the, the struggle that makes us who we are and this and that. And he's tearing this newspaper up. <laughs> and, and spitting and, and spitting in and, his list. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> me, Warren, me, Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks. I mean, I'm talking, there are probably 10 guys in that room that went in the top 20 picks in the, in the 95 draft. I mean, and Antonio Freeman. I mean, I'm talking, this room is loaded. And he's got our attention in a way that, you know, can you imagine if everyone in this room came to Notre Dame, you know, how strong would we be? You know, and we're looking around like <laughs> we got some talent in this damn room. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> and he's tearing this newspaper up the whole time. And, you know, we kind of go from sitting back on our seats, kind of like, OK, here's this guy, you know, talking. You know, when do we get to go out, see the campus, go party, go hang out with the players? And we go from sitting back to just on the edge of our seats wondering what the hell's going to happen with this newspaper. You know, as he's tearing it up the whole time he's talking, he's talking for like 30 minutes. 
And then at the end, he's like, when I tell you that Notre Dame, anything is possible, I mean anything. And he takes the paper and shakes it out. And it's all one newspaper. And we lose our freaking minds. We're like, <laughs> hell no. We're like, and I mean, we're just like, hell no. Where do I sign? Where do I sign? <laughs> so, I mean, and he was, he was captivating. And I, I know when I had my individual meeting with him, you know, he gave me a pad and pencil. And he slid it over to me across from his desk. And he said, I want you to write down all the advantages of going to school in Florida has over Notre Dame. And he says, you know what? I'll start your list. And he starts writing feverishly on the paper. And it's like being near the beach, being near your family, prettier girls, all this stuff, you know. Oh, prettier girls. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he says, he says, you know, the one thing that trumps all those things that can be the determining factor of the success in your life, young man. And I said, what's that, coach? And he says, Notre Dame. <laughs> Notre Dame! <laughs> and I was like, get me out of here. I got to get back home. I promised I wouldn't do that. That's good. So, so uh, Kevin, uh, for for decades, SEC football has always reigned above. And uh, who was the quarterback for your team in that era? I've got too many Florida quarterbacks in my head right now. Um, I had two I had two really good quarterbacks. My, my, my uh, freshman and sophomore year was Shane Matthews. Okay. And um, in my junior and senior year, it was Danny Werfel. Danny Werfel, that's what no, I was thinking. Not, of. So not too bad. You got yeah. So that in 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 retrospective, um, SEC powerhouses that probably had to elevate your career uh, and just oh, your yeah. confidence and your attitude towards going to the NFL like none other. I knew that I could play um, in the NFL because of who I played against in college. Um, I remember being on the field at the inaugural SEC championship game in Tuscaloosa. And this is a, you know, there's a 30 for 30 on it. And, um, you know, just a huge matchup, you know, where we're, we're messing with the, the natural order of things, you know, if we beat Alabama, then, you know, the SEC doesn't play for the national championship and we don't, we're kind of disqualifying ourselves before the time. But of course, you know, the rest is history that would go on to set a precedent and people, of course, you know, just went eight crazy over that game. And, you know, now everybody, you know, has a championship game for their conference championship. Um, but I remember being in that game and, and there were two defensive ends on the other side playing for Alabama. I never forget this. Alabama had a legendary defense that year. And, um, and Curry and Copeland, Curry and Copeland were the bookends for Alabama back in those days. And they were dynamic. They were amazing. I mean, they were like, I'm watching film and I'm like, damn. Like, that's what defensive ends look like. And after the game, after that game, you know, we played our hearts out. And I had a great game that day. It's kind of my coming out party, my true sophomore year, 18 years old. And um, after that game, you know, those two guys walk up to me. And I remember looking at them. And I'm like, I'm bigger than they are, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and I was like, wow, you know. And they walked up to me and they were like, hey, bro, we'll see you on Sunday. You know, he says, I don't know you know, what you're thinking about, you know, what your future looks like. But it's like, you know, everything we did, you're going to do so much more. And you're going to play years in the NFL and can't wait to watch you. Good luck. I mean, they gave such words of encouragement. And I walked off that field knowing that my agenda, my 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 direction, I, like I knew I could play in the NFL. And from, from that moment on, I never had a doubt. And, you know, winning three SEC titles, in four years at Florida. I mean, that was truly the golden age of Florida football. You talk about Nick Saban, you talk about people who have established dynasties. And now, of course, with Kirby Smart at Georgia, 
you know, you have to throw Steve Spurrier in the mix of that. I mean, because we beat the crap out of people. We beat him by 30 points. No, everyone hated Coach Spurrier because he, they thought that he was arrogant and ran the score up with that fun-and-gun offense. And, you know, what people don't realize is that we were actually a very physical team. I mean, our running backs were Eric Rett, Fred Taylor. I mean, we bruised people, but on defense, we were stacked. I mean, myself and Ellis Johnson went first round that were on our line. We had guys like Javon Curse and Mike Peterson. I mean, we were loaded on defense. Great teams, great years, a lot of great memories. But that was that was kind of the, the way I knew from playing in the SEC that I could play in the NFL. Common sense would tell you not to look to Joe and John for this, but time for life lessons from Joe and John. Kevin Carter, uh, one of the better, and there's so many stories because I was working in Fort Myers and Jacksonville during during your time there, and we did cross paths, and I have old videotape of of, of interviews with, with you. So it's just <laughs> yes. funny to think that we're still, our paths are crossing. But one of the better stories was, uh, before we get to life lessons, was Steve Spurrier when they put, they scored 50 up in Athens one year because they, you know, the Gator Bowl was being, uh, uh, you know, renovated, right? So you went yeah. home and home. And, and you see, somebody asked him, what, Coach, why, you know, why did you score that last uh, you know, touchdown? You kind of ran it up. And he goes, well, I, I, knew, th I knew they had never had 50 put on up here, so I thought, thought that'd be something we'd want to do. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> like typical, typical, typical Steve. But uh, talk about, them. yeah, your life lessons of going, you know, all of a sudden how uh, for your talk about your draft day and what you were doing, because you can't control, although you may have a sense of where you might be going and what teams are talking to you. And I don't even know where the combine was, if there was one back then or what you did yep. pre pro day or there was a combine and you made some impressions. Okay. There was a combine, um, but back in those days, you know, the, the the trend had started as to where like the top guys really didn't work out at the combine. You pretty much waited for your own pro day, and I think that's different. Like they require everyone to do everything now, and of course, everyone you know goes back for has their pro day to have an extended look, kind of in depth at certain players. But um, I remember going to New York. I was in New York for the draft, and I was there with my my parents and my brother and my uh, my agent and it was you know it was a it was a whirlwind tour i mean they they did all these promotional things we toured new york we had ferry tours with the statue of liberty the empire state building all these great things and i was in a group that had guys like luther ellis and kajana carter and tony baselli and steve mcnair and you know Luke, um carrie collins and i mean we had a, a just a great group of guys that were there kyle brady from penn state and um and it was, you know, people say that those things mean so much more the further you get away from them, the older you get. And they're right. I mean, it was it was a blur, but it was a dream come true. And I look back on those pictures and being one of those blessed few that was able to hold up that number one jersey on draft day, you know, with Chris Berman calling out your name. It was it was it was absolutely surreal. And um, and I, you know, time I got drafted, everything was a whirlwind. I got on a plane and the Rams were moving from L.A. to St. Louis at the time. And um, and I went out to L.A., had press conferences and everything else. But I didn't really have a sense of where I was going to go. Um, the Rams really hadn't expressed a lot of interest um, at, you know, talked to me. I really thought that I was going to be either a Washington Redskin or either I was going to the Houston Oilers. Um, I had great talks with Floyd Reese and Jeff Fisher. You know, they saw me very much kind of fitting into the role of a Reggie White 
um, you know, because, you know, uh, Jeff Fisher loved to run a bare front, you know, up, up front and like to do a lot of things and things that came to fruition, funny enough, earlier, I mean, later, rather, in my career when I did join the Titans and, you know, play with the likes of Albert Hainsworth and John Thornton and Henry Ford and Javon Kirst. Um, but I thought that I was, you know, going to go either there or the Washington Redskins. I mean, Norv Turner at the time was at the Washington Redskins. He came down, took me out, came down with his defensive coordinator. I mean, you know, they, they, they took me out to dinner and had great talks with them, but they ended up picking Michael Westbrook, who was wide receiver from Colorado at the time. And so I, you know, fell to the sixth pick overall. I was the first defensive player taken that year. It was supposed to be Warren Sapp, but Warren Sapp had tested positive for marijuana at the combine. Shocking. <laughs> and, um, Shocking, and, I tell and, you. Yeah, so uh, so I ended up being the first defensive player taken overall, and, you know, <laughs> the rest is history. Kevin, when you uh, – the Rams, it ended up in St. Louis – what was it like? Was it was it a, a, what you thought playing in the NFL? They always say it's all so much faster, so much tougher, so much quicker. You're not, you know, yeah. going to, or was it? It was inst- something you could handle instantly, and no. and and so no. was it was it pretty eye opening getting to the NFL? He nailed the right. national anthem, didn't you? I mean, you were really good that rookie, didn't you? Play at the right. national anthem? No, they didn't ask you to do that there. <laughs> no, sorry. Okay, you know, I um. Um, the the game was an adjustment. When I first got to, I remember getting to training camp um, my first year there, and we actually had training camp in St. Louis. We had our mini camps out in L.A. And uh, when I got to training camp and put on pads for the first time, I was I was deeply dejected and depressed. I mean, I thought <laughs> I was going to be a bust because I'm in practice and you know I'm running with the twos and threes, you know, because I'm I don't know anything. My football IQ is low. I don't know where to put my hands and I don't know the defense. And so, you know, you're just at a disadvantage from a, you know, overall football IQ standpoint and the speed of the game and, you know, what you see on a given down. And, and just, I remember there was a guy from like an undrafted free agent from like no name state. <laughs> and, uh, and he kicked my rear end for the better part of, you know, three weeks in training camp. And I was, I was like, man, I'm the sixth pick overall. I'm going to be a bust. They're going to write bad articles about me. You know, all that I did in Florida is like, it's going down the tubes. And I was so depressed. But, you know, I had great veteran leadership around me. I had good guys. I mean, Sean Gilbert, Fred Stokes, my buddy DeMarco Farr, um, Jimmy Jones, um, that came over from Dallas. I mean, I had great guys up front that took me under their wing. And they were like, look, kid, you don't know shit yet. Okay. (laughs) You don't know where to put your hands, you know, come out, get the call, get lined up, get in your best stance and think about what you're supposed to see and go from there and just play hard. You'll pick it up. And, you know, the speed of the game is real. Okay. It basically, you're playing against everyone who was all conference or all American. Everyone is great, which is why, you know, on Sunday, when you see a team that's struggling, that can't get it together, and then all of a sudden they, you know, put it together one Sunday and beat the crap out of one of the best teams in the league. People are surprised. I'm like, look, there are millionaires on every roster that are that are, you know, put in their 10,000 hours to be experts and master their craft and what they're doing. And, you know, it's just a matter of time sometimes where people actually put it together and on a given day and kick the crap out of you. So um, for me, those early years, you know, were hard, but. I quickly learned that I belonged. I mean, I had six sacks my rookie year, 
and you know the rest is history. I started to climb and get better and better because, you know, I had a thirst for wanting to be great. Um, I came from Florida, and this mentality of you know getting through the season, body preservation. I had none of that. I'm like, man, I'm I'm out there every weekend doing everything I can to get a win, and you know it wasn't a winning culture in St. Louis at all. I mean, there were times where we lost like eight straight games in a row. And like I said, guys are guys are worried about their contracts. And I'm like, what is this? You know, I, I came from Florida. It was a rah, rah, overly enthusiastic. We're all football nerds, you know, doing everything we can, you know, working out and, you know, having the camaraderie. And it just wasn't there. It, it really became a job, you know, um, quickly in the NFL. But, you know, a man named Dick Vermeil came in. And, you know, he, he told us that in three years we'd be world champs if we believed and we worked and, and we bought in. And I believed him. And, you know, and, and, and there were 12 of us that were left on that team the day he walked in our organization. And three years later, you know, you bring over Trent Green and you, dra- and you get a guy named Marshall Falk in free agency. You draft a kid named Tory Holt. You draft a, an Orlando Pace, a Grant Wistrom. And, and the rest is history. You know, we win a world championship. So, um Great memories, you know, of those early years. But yeah, the speed of the game and the adjustment to the NFL is very real. It's the best of the best. And, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. In 99, the 2000 season, it definitely took off. You guys won the Super Bowl. And uh, that I, you were like the sack king. I think you had 17 plus sacks that mm-hmm. year. Um, He'll let you know. Same exact the, number. Yeah, sure. Sure. And <laughs> don't, don't, do, don't go ish on well, that. You beat the Titans, and um, did you from from your standpoint on the play that very last play of the game from where you were? Yeah. Did you think he was in the end zone? Did you think he was going to score? And you guys had lost it, and you just oh my god, he's short. He didn't make it. We won. When I turned around, I was rushing in on John Runyon, and I was utterly exhausted. Um, there's a famous clip on NFL Films where I think maybe like one play prior to that, I'm coming off. Field. And and Coach Vermeil is giving me the business. I mean, he's like 26 seconds left in the game, the biggest game of your life, and you're coming out. I can't believe this. And he's, I mean, there's three other guys coming off the sideline as well. But of course, he he singles out me. Um, I wasn't going to bring this up. I, I, I if you <laughs> yeah. want to go down this road, feel free to, Kev. But oh no, no it was no. not. Tell the story. It was the yeah. optics were not good, and you were unfairly criticized. I think. Yes, yes, it, it was. It was unfair, but you know, it, but you have to understand the relationship between Coach Vermeil and I. Um, when he came in from from the day he walked in, he had a different standard for certain people, and I was one of those people. He told me, "You're one of my guys. I will always expect more." I will lend you my faith until you believe in all that you are, all that you are supposed to be. And, and, and he says, son, it has nothing, has very little to do with football. He said, you're supposed to be a great man. And he says, you know, God has charged me with the responsibility of helping you get there. So I'm going to be on your ass. <laughs> so basically, that's what he told me the first day that he came in as the head coach. And, and it held true. So every time I came off the field, even in a routine game, um, Everyone else rotated on our defensive line. Okay, defensive lines rotate. That's what they do. They come in for five or six plays, and then a fresh set comes in. You better have depth or you're not going to make it through the season. My MO, part of what made me, I guess, good is my durability. You know, I played 14 years, never missed a game, never missed a game in high school, college, or the NFL. 
I was the blunt instrument. I could run through eight brick walls and, you know, ask for more. And I was built different. And, uh, and, and that was, you know, I guess my thing. But, man, anytime I came off the field, he was cursing me up and down. He's like, what are you doing out of the game? I'm like, coach, everyone else rotates. I'm just coming off for a play, <laughs> you know. So this was the same thing. And, and I was, I felt at the time, I was no good to anyone. I mean, if, if, you know, Steve McNair is, you know, they're trying to win this game. And I know if the ball's in number nine's hands at the end of the game, you know, everyone believes that he's going to get it done. I mean, you know, it, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get out to, to not be a detriment to what we're trying to do. And that's win a world championship. So, you know, I'm, I come off the line of scrimmage in that last play because mind you, there was a TV timeout. So I didn't come out of the game with 26 seconds left. Okay, so people like you come out of the game. I'm like, no, watch the film. The last play of the game, I'm out there because basically I came to the sideline, TV timeout. I got some water, turned around, and walked right back on the field. And um, <laughs> they didn't and show I, that, I, you know. <laughs> no, no, they didn't show that. But of course, like I said, if you watch that last play with Kevin Dyson stretching out, I'm 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 rushing in on the left end on John Runyon and. You know, I'm trying to get there, and I get my hands up, and the ball's thrown, and literally we all turn around, and I think time stood still as literally, I mean, see Kevin Dyson stretch it out. I see Mike Jones, and Mike Jones, at that time, Mike Jones and Keith Lyle, our free safety, were our surest tacklers on the team. I mean, I'm talking in space, one-on-one, -on -one, I don't care who it was, they were going to make the tackle. And, you know, sure enough, Mike Jones, sure tackle, makes the play. And he's stretching out. I remember Keith Lyle coming over and swiping at the ball. And, and Kevin pulls it back so he doesn't. And he tries to push it out even more. And I'm like, he's not in. He's not in. <laughs> I'm like, thank the Lord he's oh, not in. Good. Because at that point, I'm thinking we got to go to overtime. And I'm gassed. I have nothing <laughs> left. It's the old AstroTurf I have basically this is all white. Yeah, you okay, have five layers of skin, skin instead is, of seven. My yeah. skin is gone <laughs> on both my elbows, and I am absolutely exhausted in need of, like, eight bags of IV fluid, and I'm just overjoyed. And I, and I, I literally turn around. I'm walking towards the end zone. The confetti starts raining down, and I, I hear someone screaming. <laughs> and I'm like, who the hell is screaming? And right that now? was Brenda. <laughs> that was Kirk's wife. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, well, it was. I, I turn around. I turn around, and it's DeMarco Farr, and he's making a snow angel on the field out of confetti. That's great. And, you know, and then I get a tap on my shoulder, and, and it's a little old man, and he's telling me, he's like, you're a world champion, and it's Dick Vermeil. That's great. So, That's great cool. memory. Awesome day. Um, Funny you say that, you know, Joe, you say that your son was born yeah. on that day. Yeah. You know, the week the week before, um, we we played uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the championship game. And that morning when I came home from the walkthrough, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll tell this entire story. I'm at the walkthrough the morning of um, the morning before we're getting ready to play Tampa Bay in the championship game, the NFC championship game. And um, I come home from that walkthrough. But before I come home, the people that are doing the game, it's Howie Long, and he's in the box, and Marcus Allen is on the sideline. And Howie Long pulls me aside and after this walkthrough, and he starts talking to me. You know, it's like, hey, how you doing, man? You had a great year. And I'm like, you know, I'm geeked out because, you know, Howie Long is giving me props, you know, for leading the NFL in sacks and everything else. But he, he grabs me in such a way that's, that's nearly disrespectful. Like, he grabs me by my arm. 
and like pushes me in a corner in our in- indoor facility in St. Louis. And he pins me up against the wall, you know, and he's looking at me like with these earnest eyes. And he's like, Kevin, you're a leader on this team. When I was a young player, I was on one of the best teams in NFL history. And I looked around and I saw talent everywhere. We brought home a world championship. And I thought, surely, surely we'll be back. With all this talent, I'll be back again. He says, Kevin, in 14 years, I never went back. He says, take this time, lead your team, do what you've done all season, and make a memory. And I'm like, I got it. He's like, fucking listen to me. And I mean, he pins me up against the wall again, and he's like, There goes our PG rating on all the podcast yeah, platforms. We are now like, explicit, officially. Thank you, Kevin. And he's shaking me, and he's like, and he's like, make a memory. He's like, don't let this moment pass you by. And I said, Howie, I got it. I got it. I, I, I promise you, I got it. And um, and so I'm like, I'm walking away from there. And of course, like I said, things mean more years later because, of course, I went on to play 14 years in the NFL and I never went back in 14 years. So I'm so glad that in that moment I took a chance, you know, to make that memory. I drove home that day, walked in through the garage, walked in on the kitchen counter. There's a gift box on the table. And I, I look at this gift and it says, Kevin. So I open this gift box up, okay, and it's a home pregnancy test. And I find out that my uh, wife, Shima, is pregnant with our son, Zion, who is 22 now and is about to graduate from Dartmouth in, in, in the spring. And, yeah, so 22 years later, I'm talking to you, Joe. That's um, terrific. And so that's yet another way that all this ties in together. Joey King, Joey King is my son's name, and he's just an absolute angel and blessing and a great young man. He's actually been on our show before, and uh, we just thought for sure the Titans were going to win. We had Joey was born, and we were so tired. We slept through the first half, came back, woke up, and put the game on in third quarter. And uh, but the ending was the ending. But uh, Kevin, that is a tremendous story, and uh, we still we still rewind life to that 2000 Super Bowl and that memory, as I'm sure you do, uh, yeah. with with your kids, because uh, that blessing uh, will last a lifetime. It marks time. It marks time in our lives. Rapid, 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 rapid fire, fire, rapid fire, rapid. Pew, 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 rapid fire. Kevin thinks that uh, the producer just pulled something like, like what? "What? What is that all about?" Am I on the same show now? Yeah, <laughs> nice. There's no segue, and you know, in being in broadcast TV, it's nice to have a segue. There's nothing there, and it's not right. even rapid fire, but it's just questions that are out of the blue. First thing you think about, go ahead, Joe. First question, Kevin, where is that Super Bowl ring right now? <laughs> that Super Bowl ring actually is about ten feet from me. Cool. <laughs> in, a, in a little lockbox. When's it come so, out? Uh, when do you wear it? What kind of? Every uh, time he comes to Nashville, I think. <laughs> every time I come to Nashville, <laughs> and I, I wear either a Super Bowl ring or one of my three SEC rings when I'm on the air broadcasting at all times. My, my father, my father, Lou Carter, got in my you know what. Um, um, because when I was going on television, I was not wearing my rings. And he says, Kevin, he says, you won those rings. They're instant credibility. They show people who you are, and they remind people that you are a three-time SEC champion and a world champion. He says, wear your ring. Do it for your father if you don't want to do it for yourself. What and he was right, because yep. years, as, as I get older and I'm on the air, I walk into spaces and I see how few and how rare those rings actually yep. are. So 
Like I said, now now I wear them. Always wear your best. What is in your CD player or on your iPod Shuffle or MP3 or whatever? I, what 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 music does Kevin Carter listen to? Like what like what would you turn on right now going to the car? Um, John, you know that my music taste is extremely eclectic, um, <laughs> so to say the very least. But funny enough, I was in studio the other night, um, studio the other night, and our our stage director, Dave, um, is a great guy, and he's he's probably sixty five if he's a day. But he was listening to Ambrosia. Oh yeah, he, he's he's I a huge Ambrosia fan. And I'm like, man, I was, you know, we were listening to it all night in studio. So I've been, you know, on Ambrosia. I've been on the Bee Gees. Just everything that's like 70s disco is has pretty much been, you know, on my playlist these days. Throw, throw so a little I've, ten, I've, I've yeah. kind of regressed. Ten, ten, <laughs> no, that's good. To. 10cc and... Uh, 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 sweet and yeah, I could go down that list. That's nice. We've got Kevin on the on the video, so we can see him. Kevin, you look absolutely fantastic. You haven't aged one day. What's your uh, what's we always what's your morning routine like? You know, as we gather our years around us, how you staying in shape? Uh, what keeps you healthy these days? Um, the biggest thing that keeps me healthy these days is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't take credit for that. I simply follow suit. Um, John knows my wife, Shima, and, you know, she doesn't look a day over 20 and she's 50. No, <laughs> so, she, she, um, and she's sweeter on the inside. She's a better yeah. person and she's, she yeah, she's smoking and you did very well, she dude. Is. Yeah, she is. And she's pretty much the one, I mean, she cooks all the time. Um, you know, I, I was really talking about a blessing in your life, but you know, the reason I have a six foot seven, 270 pound tight end of a son wow. that's in college right now playing ball is because I mean, every day of his life, he had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, you know, made and she she was amazing like that. So she cooks all the time. We ate pretty healthy, and we stay active. I mean, I you know I got into Orange Theory, did that for a while, did a little CrossFit, but CrossFit was a little hard on the joints. So I I, I kind of concede more to the corporate workout, you know, with bands and things like that. But <clears throat> my morning routine is first thing I I have to have coffee. Big thing of coffee. Got my little Dartmouth um, double-walled mug here. But um, I believe in coffee. I, I don't drink anything other than coffee, water, and alcohol. <laughs> so I, I, I think that's our, I don't drink. our that's our lineup here too. I think except yeah. for it's in ascending order. That's the that's the problem yeah. with with us. Right. <laughs> um, but I don't but I don't drink a lot of juice. I don't drink I don't you know take a lot of sugar you know and a lot of unnecessary sugar. I kind of choose my poison, so to speak, and that's ice cream. That's kind of my Achilles uh -huh. heel. But other than that, I'm, you know, yogurt, granola, berries, a lot of antioxidants, um, a ton of water. Um, I got to have my bourbon or scotch at night. Um, yes. But um, I'm, I'm active every day. And since we're in, you know, for five, five months out of the year, when I'm broadcasting for CBS, we actually move up into the New York area. And so now we've been in the city for the past four months, and I walk everywhere. So... Um, either I go work out or I try to get at least three to four miles of walking in every day. And I've just been doing a ton of push-ups and pull-ups and stuff like that. So I try to stay active, try to stretch, take a yoga class every now and then, but just keep myself in decent condition. But um, I've got good genes because if you see my father, 
I think he has fewer wrinkle lines and laugh lines than I do. <laughs> he's like, he's going on 80. So, <laughs> Hey, lift up your son before we leave that point. Where's he playing? How's he doing? And, um, you know, how, how, how is dad not on him all the time watching film or saying, do you, do you, are you suggestive <laughs> three point you, technique or do you son. just stand back? Well, the, the good thing is that, you know, he plays offense, um, which, you know, there's not a direct comparison and, but I can help him because I know the, the mentality of defensive players and how to attack them and how to best be an effective blocker. He is a senior at Dartmouth College and um, really, really proud of him. He will graduate with an economics um, specialization in finance in May of next year. And um, he is doing great. He just had his final game um, as a senior at Dartmouth. He got offensive player of the game, had a big catch, oh, um, had a great day. And um, so we're, we are so proud. I mean, obviously, you know, um, football kind of takes a backseat at a, at a place like that. And that's not, you know, if you know my son and you know what we were all about, um, he, you know, we weren't banking on the football thing. So he kept irons in the fire. Um, I'm proud to say that he will graduate next spring with that degree. And he already has a job. He, um, he actually interned with Apple um, out in Cupertino, out in San Francisco. That and, won't go um, anywhere. That's going to shut down in two years. <clears throat> I don't new, know. That's <laughs> a dead end, dude. Is that a new company? Is that? Yeah. What, <clears throat> what's in that? Right. He, um, <laughs> so he, interned, he interned in the retail division, you know, building financial models. Like, I don't really understand, actually, what he does. He, it's, 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 it's above my pay grade and intellectual understanding. Um, but he got a job offer. He accepted the job, and he's going to – he can defer. He can – grad transfer go get a master's he can he can take a little time to you know backpack across europe if he wants to but he's done very well so we're really really proud he'll start his job i guess maybe in the fall of 2024 with apple and um couldn't be more proud he is an outstanding person gentlemen yes i've seen him grow great up year by year and my goodness uh, what a great reflection of you and shima nfl team you followed i being regionally in tallahassee i've got a few guesses but who who's your team growing up well you know what really wasn't regional because back in those days you know it was there were few teams that had that kind of attention you know there weren't eight espns and you know all these different sports networks on cable and so you know i watched the big game of those who were featured and for for me i was a huge cowboys fan of course you um, were yeah I, I i grew up a cowboys fan i loved you know ed two tall jones love the manster love tony dorsett danny white i mean the whole crew i loved that i mean and it was perfect because my older brother at the time he was a steelers fan so you know we uh. go back and forth and of course you know we had the a little electric football game, you know. Is that the one you was, shot in was, the back? I'm just trying. I, yeah, I know you had a big family. That, yeah, that, yeah, that, that was the guy. The well, he deserved back, it yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, why, why would he choose the, the Steelers? Exactly. He had it coming. <laughs> so he was a big Steelers fan. I was a Cowboys fan, um, yeah, growing up. So I loved, loved Cowboys football. Kevin, we want to. We'll get to two big areas left. Uh, your, your huge contributions to Nashville and Make a Wish, and also your present day job uh, as a broadcaster on CBS. I know some of that began with my partner here uh, on the second cup of Joe and John. 
John Dwyer, when he was a sports director at News 2, you joined yeah. him on the set. You did some broadcast. I would like to think that your mentor probably is in the room sitting next to me right now with some great uh, beginning tips. Talk Stop about it, yeah. uh, where, where did your love for broadcasting come in? And the question I'm looking for is give me a John Dwyer story in the studio. You know, John's the kind of guy <laughs> that he'll, he'll throw a shoe across the studio or, you know, everybody's I always ask everyone that's worked with John, a John Dwyer story. You know, the thing about John is, you know, he's a consummate professional. And and I think people take for granted, you know, what they really have in John. And I'm going to embarrass him a little bit. Um, I would not be in broadcasting right now if it weren't for the man sitting next to you. All right. That's, that, that, is, that is a God's honest truth, because truthfully, you know, he's the one that showed me that you could bring integrity to that job. You know, he's the one that when I came in, you know, to do the sports extra, you know, encouraged me. He says, hey, you're not just doing football. You, you, you're you're going to learn to read prompter. You're going to learn to write your own print. I'm, I'm going to teach you some things that can help you because you've got a knack to do this. And I'm like, John, I don't know, you know, I don't know if this is really for me. I don't know if, you know, I, I thought that broadcasting, I saw so many guys on TV talking out of their rear ends. And I thought, you know, to be good at it, you know, you've got to go through so much and, and, you know, John showed me that you could bring integrity and professionalism to that as well. And, you know, if anyone doubts who John Dwyer is, obviously all you have to do is look at what he's doing for a living now. Uh, really proud of you, John. Like, your heart is, is huge. And the work that we have done with Make-A-Wish, seeing this man, you know, surrender his time and give so much of himself to help others. I mean, it's, it's John is an example of who we should all be. Okay, it's like I've done great things, but I've only been able to do great things because I've been allied with people like John in Nashville. I mean, there's people there. There's a list of people like John and Ben Hanback and Beth Torres and Teresa Halbrooks and you know, everyone at Make-A-Wish over the years and all of our, you know, people that, that have given so much of themselves just to put into, you know, waiting for wishes over the years, but just everything in Nashville. Um but I remember coming in, you know, to do the sports extra. I remember being trained by John. I remember getting my taste of doing the preseason games in the box, you know, and then again with Corey Curtis. Um, and I remember all those days. And by the time I got to my first broadcast job, um, you know, I remember the talent scout that, that first hired me, a guy named Ray Goodrich um, down at Fox Sports South. Um, it was a regional show that I first started doing. He told me, he says, I don't know who got a hold of you, but you got it. Like, you can do this. He's like, the guys that I work with typically, you know, go on to bigger jobs. And the two guys that I just got through working with are David Pollock and Jesse Palmer. If you want this life, you can have it. And the very next year, I was on ESPN, and the rest is history. And um, but, I, but I owe all that. I owe that beginning to my good friend, John, because, you know, he was the one that, that, that really sold me, you know, that I could do this. And I'm, I'm, I can say that you know, after 12 or 13 years being in this business, I'm, I've been blessed, tremendously blessed with two amazing occupations that just don't feel like real work. I mean, that's that's the best way that I can say it. I'm, I mean, who who gets to have a, a job where they play football as their occupation? Everyone, people are fighting traffic and they're frustrated because they're working in a cubicle for some idiot who has a corner office, who's a nephew of the guy who owns the company, and they're taking crap every day. I don't go through that. I I, I stand on the sidelines and I cry, you know, during the national anthem. You know, I'm getting ready to play, and 
that's that's my existence. That's my reality. And then now, you know, I I live six months out of the year in New York City because I work for CBS and I do college and pro football. It's it's a joy. You know, there's a ton of prep work and I have to know so much. The red light comes on. There's a ton of pressure. People are calling you, calling you every manner of idiot on social media because of your picks and your takes on different teams and why people are winning and losing and who deserves the Heisman and everything else. But I absolutely love it. It is it is a great profession and I owe it all to John. Well, wow. you're very, you very, you, very, very kind, Kevin. I will say this. You're you're look, I if it wasn't me, it was gonna be somebody else that 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 saw that you could do what you can do and and but I'll say you this it's what got me to be in broadcasting 29 years it, it was it was not talent it was I was a grinder I worked and I was going to prepare and uh, I may not be very good but I, I'll I'm going to make sure and you prepare and you understand that your 15 20 second comments on you know CBS Sports uh, they got to be succinct they can't be uh, uh, run of the mill they've got to show some insight right. they've got to be you know all those things and you always put in the time, so there's no, there's no secret, right? I mean, you just—I I was just a grinder. So you're, you're very kind, and um, that was not ra- rapid answer at all. That was not even close. <laughs> that was that was un- one example of unrapid answer. We're going to move on to <laughs> Joe and John have come to the fork in the road. Kevin, we talk about life-changing events, sliding doors, where you could have done one thing, but you did another. And uh, maybe it was one of them that you've already offered was your trip to Notre Dame, but you knew in your heart you were going to end up playing in Florida. Do you have something else that is a fork in the road for you where you probably knew you always wanted to go into broadcasting post-football, but is there anything else? Maybe that's it. Uh, Is there anything else that was something that you really had – a discerning event, something that was on your heart and you weren't sure what to do, but then you got that pull that this is the right thing to do. Well, for me, it was it was originally going into broadcasting because when I retired, stepped away from football, um, you know, you really have to go through the organic process of figuring out what your contribution to society is. And and I, I think, you know, it's a... It, People talk about it, I guess, there's more and more conversation about it as we go on through the years and people see examples, you know, sometimes um, extreme examples of, you know, people's inability to adjust after having an occupation like pro football. It's really anticlimactic. It can be, or it seems like, you know, it is, if you don't necessarily invest in the right things um, that make your life and make you who you are. So for me, you know, Walking away from football, getting opportunities in broadcasting. I remember I went on, a, on an interview, and um, I, w- I flew out to Los Angeles, and I had an interview after doing the uh, this this regional show on Fox Sports South, and I had my first big opportunity. It was an NFL Network, and I went out to audition, and you know, just kicked it out of the knocked it out of the park, and. You know, they wanted to hire me. They wanted to offer me this big deal. And it was, you know, three years, you know, seven figures a year. It was this huge deal. I was going to do the NFL AM show. And it was it was big. And I remember calling home, talking to, you know, to Shima. And I'm like, you know, what do you think about this? You know, it's an opportunity. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. You know, what do you think? And she's like, you know, whatever you want to do, you know, we'll support you. You know, we'll adjust. You know, I'm proud of you. This you know, I know this is something that you're, you know, can help you establish your post football identity, so to speak. And, 
And so she was very supportive. But the crossroad for me was at the time I had a nine-year-old son. And, you know, and I had been there, you know, in chunks of time because that's what, you know, being a professional athlete gives you. It only gives you chunks. It doesn't give you all of your time. It doesn't give you Thanksgiving or Christmas. But it gives you months out of the year where you're not doing anything, where you can be a super dad. And I had been there for my son, but he was nine years old at the time. And I had an opportunity to either invest in him and invest in my life at home or continue to chase it, so to speak, or chase that stardom and chase that attention, chase that, you know, that primetime television spot and be that person in the spotlight where, you know, I've got very little time, you know, for anything else in my life. And that's when I decided that I wanted to take a step back from everything. And I... I, I still wanted to chase it. I still wanted to, you know, maximize the platform, you know, because on the other side, I was doing a lot of charity work. And, and of course, being visible, you know, helps all those things. It helps your platform, helps your ability, you know, to raise money and to rally other people to your cause. And, but at the time, I said, you know, I have a nine-year-old son and he wants to play travel baseball. And, you know, the kids that are out there that don't have dads working with them, you know, you can tell because they're behind. You know, it's like if you're going to do something like this, like a skill-based sport or anything, it's like it just takes the time. And I'm so glad that I said no to that opportunity. I ended up taking a, you know, a smaller job for, you know, not even a fraction of the money, a little gig on weekends at ESPNU where I was sitting in the <laughs> studio just doing highlights for games. And I was traveling every weekend, but I was home every day. And I, I kept that existence, you know, through my son going through high school, I was blessed, fortunate enough to coach him when he decided to play football his senior year in high school. And I was out there and I, and I never missed anything. And that's, you know, the biggest crossroad in my life is, is choosing to be there as dad, you know, post football, because choosing to be there as dad still gave me, you know, as much as, as I wanted to do from a broadcasting standpoint. I mean, I'm not on the big show i'm not on the biggest stage or platform but i'm doing what i absolutely love you know I, I i talk a lot of power five but the majority of what i do is group of five and service academy football and and it's great i i love giving audience to the to the smaller markets and in, in college football and i love what i do you know I, I i still get a chance to you know go do super bowl for cbs or go do army navy so i get pulled into larger projects all the time to get my chance on cbs as well um, but I, I have this existence where I have the best of everything I feel like, and, and I don't think I could have scripted my life any better than it's turned out because, you know, I'm broadcasting, I'm doing what I love, but I'm also, you know, I'm able to see my son through everything that he's done. The most difficult part is not being there. You know, <laughs> I only catch like the first half or a quarter of his games, you know, for the last three years, I was up there this past weekend for senior day which was awesome. But, um, but yeah, that was a crossroad in my life that when I chose to invest in my family, it, it made all the difference in the world. And, you know, 13 years later, retired, I'm still broadcasting and I have all these wonderful memories of being there with my son and my wife. You gotta wear shades. That's maybe the best answer we've had in all our episodes. That's fantastic. Casey, we wrap up with something called gotta wear shades. Just, in this current climate that we're in politically and otherwise, there's every reason to wake up and just put your head, you know, and go, oh, geez, you know, what, sure. what's the world coming to? And in, you know, we didn't even 
really scratch the surface on college football. But, you know, things have changed. The NIL and 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 so many different things, the, the transfer portal. I, it's it's yeah. really – can you imagine if that was going on? Well, you were paid under the table anyway for, I think, <laughs> a, a heck of a car you drove. No, I don't. I, that's, that's not SEC true. SEC is cool. Yeah. <laughs> that never happened. Never. No. I No. I, so uh, – but but give us give us some hope and, and maybe in out of college looking through the sphere of, of college football, it's not the game you know that I grew up with and, and you grew up with because of because of those two things I mentioned. What gives you hope that this game will continue to not you know become you know professional football for all intents and purposes? What what makes you think? Uh, is it maybe the parity? The fact that maybe we're stretching this out a little bit better? We're spread, spreading the sauce on this pizza a little thicker. Uh, there's obviously the you know two three four teams that seem to be there all the time, but I don't know. What do you think? I think it's starting to change just a little bit because I think, and I think the reason you see so much more parity these days um, is because not only do you have more widespread talent, not only do you have you know schemes and concepts that are able to even the playing field, whether it's you know, a service academy running, utilizing the triple option, you know, grinding up the clock time, you know, minimizing time of possession and the number of possessions for the opposing offense. Or <clears throat> it's a situation where, you know, you've got um, a team that <clears throat> when you're recruiting, okay, some of these recruits these days, if you're a four or five star, you know, years ago, a man like Nick Saban could sell you on the fact that you would play for no less than two national titles in your time at Alabama. But the, the only trick is, the only catch is, you're going to have to pay your dues behind another five-star for probably two or three seasons until, you know, that redshirt junior or senior year and you finally get your chance. Um, <clears throat> that buy-in is harder to get with the NIL in place because these players get these deals and they want to play now they they're they're a five-star rated player and you know a lot of these nils are contingent upon you know meeting incentives meeting these numbers being visible being you know being able to have your instagram as the kids say lit you know with your story of you know you making your play so that doritos or whoever the sponsor is this you know a partner with your organization can pay you this money so we see the 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 draw separating more and more players and with the transfer portal like you mentioned people are able to instantly you know plug and play and have dudes i mean you see a guy like joe burrow who's frustrated at ohio state and he waits his turn transfers to lsu and transforms their team we see this year in year out we see like caleb williams going out to usc <clears throat> and now they're 10 and 1 you know, knocking on the door of the college football playoff. And so we we have more parity because of the NIL, because, you know, the human nature tells us that these kids think they're better than they are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, so, but they want that instant gratification. They don't want to pay their dues. They don't want to invest and be marginalized and be part of a team anymore. So it's going to be harder for the Nick Sabans of the world, which is why you heard him speaking out against it personally, um, because he would not have that, you know, set advantage anymore as the landscape changes through college football. I mean, you see it with Oregon, you know, Bo Nix joins the Oregon Ducks. And, you know, after a week one embarrassing dismantling at the hands of the Georgia Bulldogs, all they've done is gone on to win, you know, heartbreak a couple of weeks ago with Washington. I'm sorry, I have way too much college football knowledge in my head. Um, <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> but, but yeah, the second but cup is kicking it, in. <laughs> the, the landscape of college football, I don't think will ever be the same, but I think it balances out because of the NIL. I think, you know, it, it, it kind of 
it takes away from the hunger aspect. But I tell you this, and the one I have a message for any four or five star recruit that's out there. If you think you're the NIL will make things different for your college experience, that it'll make it any better, it won't. Um, things are still the same way. You know, the people who are the best athletes and who develop and grow and have the physical tools to go to the NFL are the guys that are going to go to the NFL. I mean, there's sleepers, good players come from everywhere and they come from FCS teams, they come from, you know, small schools. You know, I played with a guy named London Fletcher who came, who played at John Carroll University and was an undrafted walk-on and ended up being all-pro Ironman, London Fletcher in the league. And so that still happens and still will happen in the NFL. And I don't think, you know, the transfer portal, the NIL, or anything like that is going to change that aspect of college football. Kevin, uh, we are so excited that you joined us on the second cup of Joe. And John, we'd been your name when we started our show six months ago. A couple guys that love to talk Nashville, and uh, Nashville was a huge part of your life uh, with the Tennessee mm -hmm. Titans, and you had such an impact uh, on us here. And uh, I'm, I'm just so excited about your success here at CBS. Uh, me and you know, this is going to be just as great as your football career and your tenure. There is no ending. You can continue to grow and develop your own shows and. Uh, as you do so well, we've heard, motivate a next generation uh, as our sons and ch children are in their 20s. We have a lot to tell them, and you have a great story to share. God has gifted you with many gifts and talents that I think are yet to unfold. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Okay, see, it means a ton to give up an hour. I know you've got a, a <laughs> lot going on, and you answered the bell. And uh, to be continued, my friend, thank you for all the great work you've done. And and your friendship it's uh this is why we want to do a podcast to kind of show and and have, relive those memories down you know i mean why, why not you know good stuff so uh everything to shima and zion really wish them well and um we'll be i'm sure in touch real soon i'll do anything for you you know i'm here i really appreciate thanks for having me on and i don't think an hour and five minutes is quite long enough so <laughs> if you guys want to you know a couple of months we can circle back and you know we would love to don't do hey don't don't so. put it don't don't say that because we will call we, yes. we we will do that we've got a lot of chicken left on the bone here on our notes i can tell you that right but on. good right stuff on. you have a great week and uh, happy holidays my friend thanks happy holidays to you guys thank you love you john yeah i love you man good to see you yeah he's a good one he's always he's just solid you know we're just darn lucky that that he uh, you know it, there's a whole generation that doesn't remember that he even played here and you know when they started the make-a-wish thing we said well that that will last one or two more years he's gone playing somewhere else and he committed to it and it went on 20 it went on 22 years which sure. is you know about 20 longer than most charitable events so my uh, favorite part was he named all the the greats in the room with him in his college era, era yeah you know uh but he is about the one and only that's still emerging you know you always have those greats through your era that's your era but then there's people that continue to climb and to grow and to do things and that's kevin carter that's i i think that's what's a great key to success and a just a great part of of, of being a, a person that you can really get caught up in your job in football it's very visible and people just flame out we've seen the stories 
uh, when they get out of football, disaster hits. But Joe Kevin, Montana was <laughs> not good at, 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 you know, they put him on CBS and thought he'd be, you know, a miracle yeah. worker. Uh, you know, Fox thinks Tom Brady is going to be good. I, I'm not so, I'm just so sure. You got to no. put in your time. I will say the biggest compliment I can give our guest, Kevin Carter, is typically I try to interrupt and be smarmy and, and you know, just say a lot of <laughs> stupid things just to break it up. He's saying he's so insightful that I just couldn't, I couldn't interrupt the guy. I just, I love him so much that it just like, and you, you all listening probably went, that's a much better show was. if you just shut the hell up. We all thank you for not being you today, John. I appreciate that. That's I'm the great. second cup of Joe. And John. It's the second cup of Joe and John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email the show, second cup of Joe and John at gmail.com. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John. <laughs> <laughs>